Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Each month, over 80,000 people download podcasts produced from the fevered mind of Royfield Brown. They cover a gamut of topics like maps, politics, American presidents, history, the archers, Formula One, Jamaican culture, and Englishness. Go to wherever you get your podcast and type in Royfield Brown to discover a new favorite podcast today. What does Matrix, Rebel Without a Cause, and the classic weepy movie Titanic have in common? you might be surprised to hear what they have in common is that they are all gay. And in fact, according to Milo and Nico, all films are gay. Milo and Nico are an essentially a bloody funny couple. They analyse classic movies and discover that actually, deep in the narrative, are gay tropes. If you love films, and if you love film criticism, this is the podcast for you. With their tongue firmly in their cheek, Milo and Nico convince you that every film is gay. Go download it from a podcatcher of your choice today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hello and welcome, I'm Royfield Brown, who sat in a, normally I say like a sunny California, but it's 7am here, which means that the sun is not quite up. So it's a very, a very dark, but hopefully seems to be light morning over here in the East Bay in, in California. And today we're going to speak to author Guy Mitchell, who wrote the book Global Warming, The Great Deception, The Triumph of Dollars and Politics Over Science and Why You Should Care. But we're going to talk to him, not specifically about global warming, but one of the chief things which the majority of scientists say contribute to global warming which is our use of energy specifically fossil fuel energy we're going to speak to him about the crisis in the uk's energy sector this winter guy mitchell how are you and where are you today sir good morning i'm doing fine roy phil i am in the mountains of north carolina 
Are those the Blue Ridge Mountains south of Virginia? Yes, they are, as a matter of fact. We're, I'm actually in a little community called Roaring Gap, which is located about 12 miles south of the Virginia border in the, in the Blue Ridge Mountains. So we're not very far from... Fantastic. Well, no doubt during our conversation, we'll, we'll, we'll gleam a little bit more about you personally. But first, let's start with the UK's last prime minister and her act of parliament, which she brought in to help save the British consumer through dark and cold winter. Earlier this week, I promised I would deal with the soaring energy prices faced by families and businesses across the UK. And today I am delivering on that promise. This government is moving immediately to introduce a new energy price guarantee that will give people certainty on energy bills. It will curb inflation and boost growth. This guarantee, which includes a temporary suspension of green levies, means that from the 1st of October, a typical household will pay no more than £2,500 per year for each of the next two years while we get the energy market back on track. This will save a typical household £1,000 a year. It comes in addition to the £400 energy bill support scheme. This guarantee supersedes the off-gen price gap and has been agreed with energy retailers. We will deliver this. Mr. Speaker, I I will make way in a few minutes when I have made some progress. Mr. Speaker, we will deliver this by securing the wholesale price for energy while putting in place long-term measures to secure future supplies at more affordable rates. We are supporting this country through this winter and next and tackling the root causes of high prices so we are never in the same position again. Guy K. Mitchell, uh, please explain to us why the UK was in this position in the first place. Liz Truss and her government seem to make a strong play for the fact that this was because of Putin and his war in Ukraine. But UK energy prices were rising last winter before the Russian invasion. Why is the UK so susceptible to energy prices? Rises. Well, I, I think the problem in the UK mirrors the problem, the, the broader problem in the EU. And that is that over the last 20 or 30 years, depending upon when what sets the comparative period, the UK has steadily decreased the amount of coal and oil that is used to generate electricity. And so, and replaced that capacity with more natural gas production, as well as more renewables, and and in particular, wind and to a lesser extent, solar photovoltaic. So that the, the effect is, is that the dependency on natural gas to, to power the electric grid has increased considerably. And, and like the rest of the EU, now the UK finds itself dependent upon market prices. And I always, I always find it humorous when I hear a politician like Ms. Truss or President Biden in the US 
talk about controlling energy prices. You know, energy, the, the energy commodity is a world market. <laughs> and, you know, the only way that a government can try to control domestic energy prices is to do what Ms. Truss suggested, and that is to put a cap on it, which means that the government has to subsidize the difference between what is paid for world market energy and what country consumers pay. And that is a huge economic burden. And of course, that ultimately is, is I think, what drove mistrust to resign after 44 days is the realization that that was a promise that could not be kept, along with some of the other promises to try to stimulate the economy. But doesn't the UK have fundamentally a kind of a deeper structural problem in that, let's say, compared to Germany, we don't actually store our energy. So hence, when the price of energy goes up or goes down, this is the wholesale price. We're much more dependent, or we're much more sensitive, sorry, to that price increase. Whereas if you actually store your energy, at least you have some some energy to be able to to immediately to use before going back to those wholesale markets. It seems to me that it was somewhat short sighted of the UK that structurally we the energy which we consume, let's say liquid gas, is the energy which literally came to the country yesterday. And the the whole that wholesale price is then incredibly related to the consumer price that consumers pay. I think that's a good point. Of course any country's ability to, to store natural gas is is finite. It's just a matter of the, the, the degree to which it can be done. In the case of Germany, for example, they may have more overall storage capacity, but but in terms of, of days of usage, I don't think it's that much greater than, than the UK. What, what may differentiate Germany is the fact that they were connected to the Nord Stream pipelines until recently. And so their, their storage facilities were more like a surge tank. They were more like a, a pass-through kind of a facility that was constantly being resupplied as opposed to the need to perhaps receive energy by seaborne means, which obviously is limited by a number of factors. So I think that's probably the main difference. In your op-ed, The industri Industrialization of the European Union, you discussed how the EU traded long-term prosperity for short-term political gain. Could you explain that for us? What exactly did the EU do? Well, I think the, the problem originates with the decisions by the EU to purchase natural gas from Russia at what were probably below market prices. And so instead of continuing to develop the, the domestic energy resources, you know, I find it interesting in my research recently, I, I found out that the EU, and I'm sure it varies from country to country, but overall has 79 billion metric tons of coal proven coal reserves. Now that would be enough to power the EU energy mix at 1990 levels, which was the highest point before they began to make this trade-off for about 285 years. So what happened was 
the the European Union really, I think, succumbed to political pressure from green parties and eco-terrorists to decarbonize, to reduce the amount of coal and oil that powered the energy grid, the the electric sector, electric power plants, and rely on this natural gas, which was sold at artificially low prices. So it was a, it was a trade of longer term national security and and a more stable energy mix to try to sat- satisfy w- w- to natural gas to try to satisfy a, a fraudulent hypothesis. And it was, I, I believe, you know, a trade off with the proponents of the global warming hypothesis, which include obviously the Green Parties and eco-terrorists and and others who have a stake in, in promoting that that fraud. Do you believe, let's put the EU to one side just for now. It seems to me that there's a, a deeper bone of contention here. Do you believe that world temperatures are rising year no. in, year out? They're not. And the reason I don't believe it is, well, there's several reasons. First of all, it's important to understand that the concept of the average temperature of the Earth is a figment of the climate scientist imagination, which has been conjured up in an effort to try to prove a false hypothesis. There is no average temperature of the Earth. And I posted on my website a very scholarly paper, which was peer-reviewed and published in the Journal of Non-Equilibrium Thermodynamics, that proves this point. So there is no average temperature, and I always have to chuckle when I hear a politician like Emmanuel Macron, Angela Merkel, it could, and, and I'm sure there are plenty of British politicians, talk about we have to limit the, average, the increase of the average temperature of the Earth to 1.5 degrees centigrade or less. There is no average temperature. If you look at the temperature databases of the world temperature databases for the ocean, the landmass, and the atmosphere, the first eight kilometers of the atmosphere, which is the troposphere, there has been no global warming. I mean, it's de minimis, the measurements that have been made in the case of the troposphere by satellites using microwave sounding technology demonstrate that it's virtually non-existent. The same thing's true with the oceans, with the Argo measurements, and the same thing's really true with the landmass. And, and the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, that maintains these databases, they're available for the public to look at, and I have them posted on my website. But probably as importantly is if one looks at the scientific research, and I don't mean the projections of the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change, which has been corrupted by politics and and global investment firms. But if you look at the physics of, of the research papers that analyze what happens when a molecule of CO2 in the lower atmosphere, the lower troposphere, absorbs a long wave infrared photon of 15 microns in wavelength, the heat that is the heat flux that is transmitted back towards the earth is de minimis. It's about 0.2% of the sun's irradiance on a clear summer day 
at equatorial latitude. So the physics. Guy, uh, Guy. Disproves, yeah. Let, let me jump in. Let me jump okay. in. I, I okay. do not claim to be a scientist. I do not claim to be an, an, an environmental scientist. I do not claim to be somebody who is incredibly fay with, with green issues. One thing I do know, though, and I think you will agree with me here, is that 97% of scientists, people with PhDs, people who have studied this, believe that the the globe is warming that the polarized caps are melting they are shrinking that different bits of the globe are now experiencing different or adverse weather you can scientifically prove this because there are there is polarized caps are melting sea sea levels are rising etc etc why is it that 97% of scientists who have studied this and have done peer review, put their names to papers, etc., are wrong, but you are, are right. Well, my first response is 97% of the world's scientists do not believe man has caused global warming. No, 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 that, that's not, that's not what I said. I, I yeah, said yeah. that the, the globe is warming. Yeah, well, it's not. And as I said earlier, the temperature database substantiates my position. And you can go look at my website, www.globalwarmingdeception.com and see the data. You buy my book and read it, you'll see the data. So it's not warming. Now, you talk about what I call, and many scientists would call, empirical evidence of global warming. I refute all of that in my book. There's a reason why the polar ice caps melt and refreeze on 60 to 80 year cycles. It's called the Atlantic multi-decadal oscillation. And essentially what happens is the temperature of the ocean in that part of the world oscillates. It, it varies about two degrees centigrade over 60 to 80 year cycling. And I, <laughs> I demonstrate that in my book. And then I also quote a lot of shipping logs about back in the 1900s when, when ships would move through the Arctic regions and it would be ice free. The second thing is, if you look on my website, you'll see a graph of the Antarctic sea ice extent and see that it is virtually unchanged over the last 20 years during a period which CO2 concentration in the atmosphere increased. So the data and the science clearly proves that we're not having and there's a, there's a book written by a fellow by the name of Steve Coonan called Unsettled that addresses every one of these issues of empirical evidence and points out that the sea levels are not rising any faster than they have been for thousands of years, that there have not been the, 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 the severity of weather events like hurricanes, floods, droughts is much less today than it was okay. years ago. Guy, all right, so... I, I'm looking at the UK's average temperatures from 1961 to 2020, from 1961 to 1990, 8.3 degrees Celsius, 1991 to 2020, 9.1, from 2012 to 2021. So I know there are kind of overlapping these periods here now, 9.3. And in 2021, it was actually 9.3. So let's... Let's put to one side whether man is causing 
this and and you've and you've put to one side man's in- intervention in let's say the polarized caps you said this is a natural 80 to 90 year cycle is this just a natural cycle that we're having in the united kingdom right now well yes i mean the 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 the, the scientific evidence is clear man is not causing it and there are not no no we're putting that to one side yeah, so yeah so so we are in so let's just take these two elements the uk's average temperatures are rising you say that they're rising the data says that they're rising and then we've looked at the polarized caps they are shrinking now so these things let's say that let's say that they're naturally caused the world does go through has gone through periods of warming and freezing we know we know that thousands of years ago there was an ice age so the world was colder and we know that in when the vikings went to greenland and vineland in in north america the world was relatively warm it's the world getting colder that killed off those viking settlements in greenland around about 1600 was i think the peak of this relative mini mini ice age in europe where you could skate across the thames so the world does naturally get warmer and colder in cycles now so the question is if we burn fossil fuels does that add to the warming of the atmosphere so you're going to tell me categorically no i take it i will and i'll back it up with earlier address the the physics the science of why it does not Mm -hmm. but but if you go to my website you'll see a plot of the temperature database that for the lower troposphere the first eight kilometers of the atmosphere which would be the relevant to look at and you'll see that for the period from 1979 to 1998 that the temperature anomaly which is the comparison of a yearly average to a base period 30-year average for the troposphere decreased every year from 1979 to 1998 during which time the concentration of co2 in the atmosphere increased i think as i recall from memory around 25 percent so the point here is, is that immediately falsifies the hypothesis that CO2 in the atmosphere causes the global warming of the troposphere to, to warm, which is the which is the essential claim of the global man-made global warming hypothesis. So the, the the data refutes the claim. And I mean, what else can you use? <laughs> and so it is it is absolutely now, I, I'm not familiar with the UK temperature database, but I will tell you that the database that I've looked at worldwide with respect to the landmass, and that's what you're referring to, and, and the, the stations that gather the data are called Metropolitan Surface Area Temperature, MSATS stations. Those are adjusted by climate science. And in particular, the Hadley Center for uh, its head crew, it's the Hadley Center for Climate Research, I think in the UK. And so scientists are taking the raw data and they are either increasing it or decreasing it for two issues. One's called time of day observation and the other one's called homogenization, which has to do with equipment has been changed in an area 
maybe an area has grown up and now is an urban heat sink. So this data is has been manipulated. In whose interest is it to scare the population of the world into changing the way that we go and live our lives, the way that we, let's say, burn fossil fuels to impunity or that we extract them out of the earth. Because it seems to me that uh, just in terms of the the capitalistic nature of it, the more fossil fuels that we use, we're going to make that resource scarcer because the fossil fuels are not really being replenished. The dinosaurs died millions of years ago. So actually the cost of that extraction goes up. The cost of that fuel goes up because it's more rare. Surely the sensible thing for us to do, let's say that you're right and it's all a hoax and a fraud, right? The sensible thing for us to do is actually to go to greener and more renewable energies anyway. Well, I would, that's a two-part question and I'm trying to remember the first part because both of them are relevant. The first question is why would, why would there be this, this fraudulent hypothesis and who would promote it? Well, first of all, it's all about the money. You know, for the UN, the, the motivation has been to promote it, to get funding for research, and, and they state this in their literature, to engage in, in, in the worldwide transfer of wealth from the developing countries or the developed countries to the developing countries. For politicians, it's all about power and control. And I cover this in a lot of detail in my book. It is about the control of the electorate. And and a great example, you're in California with Governor Newsom recently mandated or issued an executive order, which was followed up by the, the relevant regulatory agency, that only electric cars will be sold in California after 2035. I can't imagine that it'd be illegal, but apparently it will see if it's challenged. But then the third issue is global investment firms. When Al Gore and a partner from Goldman Sachs formed Generation Investment Management in London back in 2004, the worldwide market for trading carbon credits was $10 billion. In 2019, it was estimated to be $210 billion. And at the end of 2021, it was estimated to be over $800 billion. There's a huge financial incentive for global investment firms, and they are promoting this in in the greatest way. Moving on to the idea of trying to limit fossil fuels, you know, the the best fuel, the most reliable fuel for generating electricity is either uranium or thorium. And the uranium, there's 1.6 million metric tons of proven reserves of uranium. And, I, and for example, France generates over 80% of its, its electricity from nuclear generation and was and, and exported and profited by about 3 billion euros a year from the exportation of that energy. There are about 4 billion, estimated to be 4 billion tons of uranium in seawater, which gets naturally replenished as it's extracted. And right now, the US, China, and Japan are in a race to perfect the technology to extract uranium from seawater. So the answer is nuclear. I mean, it's fission right now. I wish it were fusion because that would be even, 
even more efficient. Guy, I'm no energy expert, but I, I for one, necessarily don't have a problem with with nuclear power. But it's a very emotive technology. We, we all know that it is. There have been, whether it's Japan, whether it's Three Mile Island, whether it is in, 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 in Ukraine at the end of the Soviet Union, there have been mistakes, accidents, near misses with, with nuclear power. And potentially, 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 the ramifications can be somewhat catastrophic. Whereas it says to me, when, when you said, a reusable energy source, surely that's the sun. You know, the sun's not going anywhere for the next few billion years. And one thing that we have seen throughout the world is a slow decrease in the price of you know, solar panels. The technology is getting better. I don't know if there's a, the equivalent to Moore's law when it comes to solar panels and solar energy, but it would seem to me that there, there should be. We talk about nuclear power. If I am small Pacific Island, how the heck am I going to be able to extract those elements that you said actually do naturally replace themselves and, and then build a nuclear power station in, let's say, Palau or in Micronesia? Or has the government of Malawi got the financial wherefore to build nuclear power stations? I say to you, not anytime soon. But the one thing that all those countries are blessed with, as is, let's say, Norway or the United States or Brazil, is sunshine. And I'm being told that it's not 97% of global scientists actually do believe that the Earth's core temperatures are rising. It's 99%. But so you're in the 1%, right? If 99% say that it is, and and I've given you really good economic reasons why we should not be to extract a source of fuel which is finite. Surely we need to be looking at renewable sources of energy so that all of the planet can power itself and keep itself warm going into the future. And I'm not even going to say right here that the temperature rising is man-made. Right. There's a there's a there's an argument. I don't believe it's a strong one, but I'm not going to fight you on that, saying that it's man who is warming the planet. Planet goes through natural periods of warming and, and, and getting colder. Yes, I do believe that we are contributing to it, but I'm not going to argue with you on that. Tell me that my analysis of what we should do to safeguard the future of the planet for our children is wrong. Okay, I, I think it's important to do away with one misconception. 97% of the scientists in the world do not believe that man's caused global, cause global warming. If, if you, if you, no. if you, well, the, 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 the planet is warming, that the planet yeah. is warming. And actually, no. you're right. It's not 97%, it's 99. It's not even that. If you read my book, if you'll buy my book, you'll see. That's the study that was gone, that, that was conducted, from which this state, this claim came. It was called quantifying the consensus in man-made global warming or something like that. I, I quote extensively from this that these folks did. Only 32% of the scientists who were surveyed by these people, and they were principally in the United States, said they believe man caused global warming. 66% didn't, 66 didn't respond to the survey. 
So set that aside. That is a fraudulent claim. But the point here is this. You know, nuclear, when's, when, when's the last time you heard about an accident with a nuclear power plant in France? You haven't. And France has been generating nuclear power for the last, it's, it's more than 85% of the plants for the last, I guess, probably 50 or 60 years. But let me tell you which countries use nuclear power. Argentina, Belarus, Belgium, Brazil, Bulgaria, Canada, China, 55 nuclear plants. And by the way, China built more coal-fired power plants in 2021, built three times the number of coal-fired power plants in 2021 as the rest of the world. The Czech Republic, Finland, France has 56 reactors, Germany, Hungary, India, Iran, Japan, Mexico, the Netherlands. So all these people are using, they're generating nuclear power safely. And to answer your question about Micronesia, you know, if the world changed to nuclear power generation, fission reactors over some period of time, there's no reason why these countries can't continue to use fossil fuels. But I can assure you that the technology would improve much more so than renewables to be able to supply these countries. And if you can put a nuclear reactor on a aircraft carrier for the U.S. military, you can put one in Micronesia. But the last point that I would make is that, you know, it's a it it just needs to be a sensible decision based on the availability of fuel sources, recognizing that man that carbon dioxide does not cause global warming. All right. Seems to me that in, in our audience we have people much more versed on some of the minutiae of the, of the arguments of this debate than actually I am. And, and, and I must admit, Guy, that I read the notes from, from, from your PR really quite briefly. Let's say, let's be honest with it, I skimmed them, right? And, and, I, and That's what, I saw, what, what I saw was you talking about the UK's energy crisis and the potential blackouts which might happen this winter. And I didn't read any more deeply until this morning. I didn't realize that you and I were completely on the other ends of the argument when it comes to climate denialism. I didn't realize until two minutes before we started the recording. So I come somewhat to this conversation unbriefed in terms of being able to counter you with specificity. But what I will say, though, is before I hand over to Ben, Ben Tristram, who's joined us on stage, is this. And, and, and you do know this, that the vast, overwhelming majority of people who've studied this do disagree with you. That's well, number if you're, one. If you're one, looking, one second, okay. one second. Uh, let, I, let, I, me, I, let me just do my layup. Let me just do no, my layup. Go ahead. I, I thought you were waiting for a response. No, no, no. And common sense tells me that from an economic point of view, and I've said this twice, but I'll say it again, if we are using sources of energy which cannot be largely replaced, the cost of them goes up. The cost of mining them also goes up, right? So there's an economic reason why we should be moving away from sources of energy which cannot be renewed or easily renewed. 
regardless of what's actually happening to the atmosphere, okay? So number one, people think the atmosphere is getting warmer. Number two, people think that man is contributing to it. Number three, cost of getting that energy is going up. It's because, because it's just scarcity. That's just basic economics. And then I'll say there's a fourth reason why we should, be, we should show caution is that let's be safe, let's be careful. If there is this evidence which points this way, even if you dispute it, why test the hypothesis which potentially could be the end of civilization as we know it and the ruin of mankind? I just say, let's be prudent, let's, let's be careful, is what I would say. However, we have a couple of people on stage who are much better versed in these arguments than me. And we've got Frank Rode in Germany and Ben Tristam in, in England. Ben, this is much more your wheelhouse. You have first dibs at, at Guy Mitchell. What's your question? How are you doing, Guy? And it was nice to see at the beginning of the room, I was quite enthused to see that somebody else was a, an engineer. I'm an engineer. <laughs> I'm interested in, in sustainable energy for myself. So, I, I mean, I'm interested in this from a few different angles. I'm interested in being self-sovereign in my own ability to create power and not reliant on somebody else whose prices I can't control. So I like generating as much energy on my own site as I possibly can because I've been a bit disturbed by the increases in prices that I can't control. And I'm enjoying producing the majority now of my own energy, which is good. And we can skip over any environmental arguments. I like, I like the, the, the lifestyle factors of learning about my energy production, my food production, and my water production. So I like to be in control of those things. I like what it does for my appreciation of nature. I quite enjoy doing a few things the old way in storing food underground and letting sun into my windows to warm myself rather than you know, having to use any energy. I enjoy that side. And I particularly enjoy saving money and not spending more money on energy than I need to. So that's kind of where I'm coming at it from. And uh, my conclusions are quite simple where I live. I produce as much of my own power as I can. And, and uh, as much as it's tempting to use uh, fossil fuels because they're 10 kilowatt hours per kilogram, they're very, they have a high specific energy. It's not necessary anymore when there's, you know, I've got two acres of land and lots of sun landing on it and lots of batteries that, that I recycle from other people's laptops and so forth. And I don't really need to do anything new. I just fiddle with what's already here and create my own energy. So that's where I'm coming from with it. Um, I, whether I have a, a question, I don't know, really. I think I do have a question, but it's uh, it's not a scientific question. I, I have an ad hominem question, if you will let me ask it. I mean, I just want to understand where you're, what, I mean, what's your, what, I mean, what, what's your affiliation? It doesn't quite compute to my brain. So you're, you're an engineer. By the way, I, I like nuclear. I, I think that modern third and fourth generation nuclear, I can't see any issues with it. And I would like to see it used a lot more and fast breeder reactors using uranium from the oceans could give us twice the average American's uh, energy consumption for a yeah. thousand years. Um, so, I mean, I personally have no issues with that. So if you're mainly pro-nuclear, cool. But it costs, as far as I understand, uh, if you compare the cost over the lifetime of the energy produced by a nuclear plant to setting up a renewable plant with storage, I think, in, depending on where you are in the world and which technology, I think they're comparable now. This is the bit that I don't understand is why you'd build a large-scale new nuclear. So this is my question. Why would you build a large-scale new nuclear plant with current technologies? And sure, your argument, I think, is that the nuclear will get better if we do more of it. But why would you build that now when in some geographies, depending on the geography, you, some places you're going to need to pick solar and storage, some places you're going to need to pick hydro, some places you're going to pick hydrothermal, some places you're going to pick whatever. Why would you do that if the cost over the whole lifetime per whatever unit energy produced 
is at the moment roughly break even with renewables as far as I can see, depending on where you are and what the options are on the table. Why, why would you go down the nuclear route? Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Okay, all great questions. Ben, let me try to take some of the, the points you've raised in order if I can. As regards my motivation, I have no idea. I, I told Royfield it's prior to the broadcast that really my interest in science really has to do with theoretical physics and and particularly particle physics and the and the experimentation that's being done by CERN with a large hadron collider. I'm I, I'm interested in trying to understand what the force carrier is for gravity. So I just got sucked into the vortex of this global warming issue uh, as a result of attending a a dinner party about five years ago when a friend challenged me, as Royfield has, about, you know, 97% of the world's scientists believe man's caused global warming. Well, that statistic is, is not true. But anyway, that's how I got drawn into it. I have no affiliation with either proponents or opponents of the global warming hypothesis. Number two, I like, I mean, I, let me be clear about this. I think renewable. I think renew, I think wind and solar voltaic cells are cool. I like them from a from a technical standpoint. the The problem is right now the technology is not sufficient to be to power the base load grid of of an electric grid. And so I, I think from what I understand, well, for two reasons. Number one, sometimes clouds obscure the sun, and sometimes the wind doesn't blow. Now, I'm a, I've done some research on the storage technology. You're probably much more knowledgeable than I about how long you can store power that you, you have generated and charged into batteries with solar voltaic cells. But, but I think it's measured in, in maybe a handful of days or so. The, but, so but, but overall, I mean, the, having studied it, there are a couple of issues. Number one, I think I think that wind and solar works great for consumer generation like you're doing. 
because you don't get into issues. The problem is when you talk about baseload generation, you get into issues of voltage drop across a large distribution network. You know, if you've got solar voltaic cells on your house, that's not an issue. And I think all this technology will be worked out. But right now, the power that's generated from renewables is generated at what's called an asynchronous frequency, which means in, 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 in the U.S., we, our, our power grid operates on 60, 60 hertz, 60 cycles a second. I think in the U.K. it's 50. But what happens is, is if that, if, if the frequency of your, of, of your, <laughs> of the electrons that are, that are, that are flowing from these sources drops below a certain level, it gets, it causes a lot of issues on the grid. And it's a challenge. I watched a great video, which I'd recommend. I'm trying to remember the name of it, but it was, it was a present, technical presentation about this. So, Guy, can uh, I know, can uh, I jump in just for a sec there, just with a a, fa- yeah. a, a, a live a super live fact? At this moment, yeah. according to the Grid Carbon app from Oxford University, and I check this regularly independently, you can go and get that on the iPhone or on the Android. Grid Carbon, or one word. As I speak to you, the UK is pulling thirty four gigawatts of power. Thirty seven percent of that is coming from wind. Six percent of that's coming from solar. You're thirty five from gas. Thirteen from nuclear. So we get, we're getting 37% of our electricity from wind right now. The problem must be solved because we are getting, we are often getting most of our power in this country from on and offshore wind. We sometimes are getting all of our power between wind and solar on occasions when it's windy and sunny in the middle of the summer. So we are already supplying an entire country on wind and solar at times. So whatever the argument here is that that is not possible cannot be true because we are doing it right now. Yes, you can store for a few days in somewhere like the Norway, a pumped hydro storage system that, that can be done. The, any ideas about not being a modern inverter, not being at a frequency match to the grid just makes no sense whatsoever to me. You can buy an N-phase inverter for $50 that can do that. And well, you can do that at any scale. You can do that at domestic scale or you can do that at country scale. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter how many of these things you have. So this doesn't. And the point is the UK is, at, as I speak to you, 37% of our power is coming from wind and 6% from solar, and it's quite late in the afternoon. Earlier in the day, it was 80% of our power was coming from renewables. Uh, the only thing I can say is, is that obviously the technology, particularly with respect to the wind, you know, I, I think as long as you have sufficient force, you can, vary, you can vary the blade attitude and you can maintain the frequency of generation. But there, there are several research that, papers that address this issue, Royfield, that can explain this better than I can. The guy, what are, I, I just want you to explain how my country is currently taking over a third of its power from wind as I speak to you, the whole country. I haven't had a blackout, a grey out or anything from about a year. We have hardly any blackouts, grey outs or problems. There are times when the country runs entirely, well, 80 something percent off renewables. I, how is that happening when you're telling me that that's not possible? It, I mean, it is happening here now. Sure, overnight we burn a lot of gas. So I, I, so I don't understand how it's happening when you're saying it can't happen. It's, I'm confused. Well, the only thing I can tell you is that I've read several research papers that talk about the challenge. Ah, oh, dude. Okay. We're doing it. I mean, it I, works. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't answer you. Yeah. yeah I, right. I'm sure you can't and, because and, and the I, answer I hope, is it works. Well... And I hope the UK increases the percentage of wind power because I got news for you. 
the price of natural gas is going to increase considerably. Ooh, and so, yeah, I hope it does. you know, Mrs. Maybe, maybe what Ms. Truss should have said was we're not going to cap the price of energy. We're going to go build more wind turbines. Maybe she'd still be in office. Yeah, that would have made more sense indeed. But the price of fossil fuels going up is, is fine. I mean, look, we're not on substantially different pages. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to run in a minute because I've got to go prepare a room on sustainable energy. But I, I think people are irrationally scared of nuclear. I would love to see more recent nuclear produced as long as it can, as long as it can actually compete on a cost basis with sensible choices of renewable mixes and their appropriate storage. But I just think that it's a, becoming a moot point because... We're kind of at the point where the renewables are just the cheapest option anyway. So well, I'd love to see all current nuclear plants ca- carry on running as safely as possible until they're done. But new large-scale nuclear doesn't make a lot of sense. Smaller scale, I'd love to see that. As you say, the things you stick on n- nuclear submarines and the like, I'd love one of those, a little mini modular reactor for my house. I'd buy one of those tomorrow because that would get me through the winter just beautifully because renewables is really hard to get through the winter in the UK uh, on a personal level with renewables. Easy enough at a country level because we've got, you know, we pump billions of tons of water up mountains and use that to, to, to go through the lulls and sloughs in the in the power. But yeah, so I mean, we're not substantially on a, on a different page until you get to the bit about the bunkum about us, about carbon dioxide and the climate. But that's a different issue. We can talk just about, we can talk just about renewable power and power and the sources. And it still adds up, as Royfield's saying, from a cost point of view. So, Well, again, anyway. I'm, not, I'm not opposed to it, but I will say this. You're, I, until the technology changes, you're going to have to have a backup for renewable power generation, and that's got to be. And, and quite frankly, it's got to it's got to power the base load of the grid. Meaning, it's got to, it's going to have to be more than fifty percent because I'm assuming that if Ben's renewable energy sources don't work, I guess he's got a, a means of of getting line power. I don't know, but you mentioned thirty seven percent. I think their country's probably that generate more than that. So, I, you know, I think that the, there, are a lot, there are technical issues, but at the end of the day, you're going to have to have an alternative when the wind doesn't blow and clouds obscure the sun. Mm. Well, so I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to run guy, but the answer with me is simple. And it's the same for the country. You massively over provision on things like solar, even on a cloudy day, you can get plenty out of solar with the right storage, the right over provisioning of solar and sufficient over-provisioning of wind, the probability of a period where there's not no wind and insufficient solar it can be diminished down to so small that it's, it's vanishing. So you can do that on an individual level and you can do that on a country level, I believe. But we do need to be careful and sensible about this because it only just adds up. If we continue to increase our energy use as we are, we're going to end up, we are going to end up in a problem. So the real problem is consumption, which nobody talks about. If we could halve our consumption, buy half as, buy half as much stuff, take less long-haul flights and so forth, then actually the new renewables would add up much quicker. The, the risk is that we keep chasing our tail, keep increasing our consumption and make our job of doing everything renewably very difficult. But anyway, just some thoughts. Very good. Ben, Tristram, thank you for coming on and at least applying some scientific opposition to, to, to guy, Guy's positions. I think what I did was much more of a philosophical opposition, trying to understand in, in the wider sense of what Guy was saying. We are up to the one hour point of recording this podcast. So I'm going to start to wind things down. But Frank, you've been on stage for, for quite some time. So Frank, now is your time to, to throw a question to Guy, if you have one. 
Well, <clears throat> good evening from Germany. I'm a social scientist. I work at a chair for sustainable development in, in climate science communication. And I actually work with some world-renowned climate scientists, just like, for example, Stefan Rahmsdorf, who's the director at the Potsdam Institute for Klimafolgenforschung. He, for example, looks into the temperature anomaly in the Atlantic Ocean. And he published an, an article about climate science denial some years ago. I think it's, it's almost 10 years ago. There are a couple of, of things that everybody could look up and compare to, to your work guide. But, you know, as, as a scientist, but, you know, when, when, whenever you have a hypothesis going, you have to apply some, you know, some car popper, some, something that could actually prove you wrong. So my question guy would, would, be what would actually what type of argument just generally would would convince you that that what the, for a meta analysis from 2021 or one from 2019 found so so it's not not the consensus is not 97 percent anymore it's it's more than 99 percent so what more than 99 percent of of the scientists, the relevant scientists in the field are actually agreeing upon that that the climate change is is human made. What what would convince you of that? Well, Frank, let me say first that you have a countryman by the name of Dr. Herman Hardy. I published some of Dr. Hardy's. He, he was still I'm be. sorry. My my question was particularly what would convince you that climate change is human made i mean if, if yeah. well if it i mentioned the research by dr hardy at helmet trent university if if the if the research was if there was a consensus if there were or if there were no disputes about it that would convince me number two if the temperature database of the world's if the world's temperature databases for the troposphere, landmass, and oceans depicted a sustained period of global warming that was consistent with increased carbon dioxide in the concentration of the atmosphere, that would convince me. If someone could explain to me why there is an average temperature of the Earth, then that might convince me that that would be a metric to use because the problem is there is no average temperature of the earth. The earth is not in thermal equilibrium. The temperature of the earth is different at every point in time and space. And I posted on my website a great research paper that refutes that concept. It was published in 2007. So, you know, if I could see the data, if I could see objective data, the, the UN IPCC scientists do not publish research that corroborates the global warming hypothesis. They develop computer models that predict what the temperature of the average temperature of the Earth, which has no meaning in science, might be based on the increase in the concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere. So if I could see, if somebody could show me the data, if somebody could show me the physics that corroborated this fraudulent global warming hypothesis, I'd sign on. I'd be one of those 99% that you think believe this. But I, I need to see the data. I need to see the science. And so far, neither of them confirms the, the hypothesis. Guy Mitchell, 
thank you for, for coming on to, to Mid-Atlantic today. Thank you to Frank. Thank you to Ben for, for being the collective kind of hive mind that the 99% who are a little bit more informed about the actual science of global warming than me. I, I must admit, I, I kind of believe in experts, Guy. And, and if 99% of people are telling me something and governments throughout the world are kind of moving in that direction of this level of expertise, I kind of think that there must be the data to back this up. I think that I um, countered you with at least four reasons as the reason why us burning and using sources of energy actually isn't good just from an economic point of view. But I don't have Ben's specificity of knowledge when it comes to looking at, let's say, wind. And I think Ben made an, an excellent point when he said right here and now, two thirds of the UK's energy grid is being powered by wind, something which you said wasn't possible, but it is possible and is actually happening right now. And, and just the last point, which I made timidly, I'm going to make a little bit more forcefully. We should have an insurance policy in terms of how we power the planet in the future that let's say that there is there is just general dispute as to whether global warming is a man-made phenomena. I don't really believe that it is fundamentally a dispute. I think there's overwhelming evidence that says that the globe is getting warmer and we are contributing to it, us, us as human beings. But let's just say that this is like a 50-50 argument. Why wouldn't you at least hedge your bets so that our children have a planet to inherit, is what I would say, you know. And that's before we, we look at some of the other arguments. But Guy K. Mitchell, you've taught me a lesson today, sir. And, and that lesson is when I get notes from PRs and when I'm having people on the show, I should read them much more deeply. And one thing I would say slightly in, in my defense is because it's now eight o'clock here in, in California and I, and I got up early to do this. I thought to myself, what would happen is I'd have a good hour, hour and a half before a guest comes onto the show and I'll read up about them. With you, it was literally three minutes because I only rolled out of bed some, some 20 minutes before. And that's me being human and very honest about it. I do appreciate you coming on. And, and again, I'd just like to thank the hive mind, Ben Tristram and Frank for coming up onto the stage and at least challenging you, sir. But we say this to every guest that comes on to, to Mid-Atlantic. If people are interested in your thoughts and your theories, Guy K. Mitchell, where can they find them? You can, my book is available on Amazon.com. The title is Global Warming, the Great Deception, the Triumph of Dollars and Politics Over Science and Why You Should Care. And it's all, you also can see a lot of the data that I've represented to you today on my website, including a, a, the ability to purchase the book at www.globalwarmingdeception.com. And gotcha. uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be on your program. And I always enjoy having people challenge me about the comments that I make. Again, I don't really know the the science, but as I said, Ben made an intro, uh, I think a really valid point. And I think the next time before you refute the validity or the scalability of wind power, we need to look, you need to look at some really, some live examples. Anecdotally, when I travel from Birmingham to London on the M1 and M6 motorways, 
there's nothing but wind farms down that motorway when I get to Brighton in the UK. Purely anecdotally, and you look at the, the sea to France, it's full uh, of wind farms. They have an eerie beauty to them, but even I was somewhat blown away by what Ben said, that some two thirds and sometimes as much as 80% of the UK power grid is actually powered by wind. Anyway, good people, you've listened to an episode of Mid-Atlantic where maybe I've shined a little bit too much of a light onto my own personal habits, i.e. I, I didn't properly prep for this episode. And so the conversation took a turn which I wasn't really expecting. I thought fundamentally we were going to be talking about the UK's energy sector crisis and the fact that this winter there could well be blackouts in, in the UK, something which happens, dare I say, quite frequently in, in the Bay Area, but something which doesn't happen actually in the UK. Very obviously, the UK government has made some level of a provision to safeguard against Britain's going cold this winter, but energy prices have skyrocketed and that skyrocketing of these of energy prices isn't just to do with Putin's war, because actually the energy prices were going up beforehand. I did say at the start of the show that the, the fundamental reason for the UK being susceptible to the wholesale price of energy is because we don't actually store any of it within the UK and as opposed to, let's say, Germany or the European countries. Though we do have a very diverse pool of energy sources which you take our power actually from. So it's something which we need to look at for the medium to long term in the UK. How we can structure our energy system so that in future we don't, we're not at the vagaries of price fluctuations on, on the global. But only time will see if we have a government that can take control of our energy sector to put those put those strictures actually in place. That's been me, Royfield Brown. Don't forget left of centre politics is right thinking politics, but we don't demonise our right-leaning brothers and sisters. We just try and win them over the strength of our argument. That's been a mid-Atlantic. And, and if you learn anything from this, it's you go into an exam, do some prep, because I didn't really today. But gay, Guy K. Mitchell, thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you again to our two people from the audience who also came up. Take care, look after yourselves. You'll have another Mid-Atlantic soon. Bye-bye. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.